Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and are back to the Jet Rail Podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and I just got done recording this episode because I am recording the intro after the fact, which is very meta for my brain, but I'll talk about that at great length later. But I just kind of wanted to give you guys the rundown of what this episode is about. I'm answering patron questions regarding a horse who just won't stand at the mounting block, and we got to brainstorm why. Um, answering the question, if food reinforcers lose their value, um, and if the horses get tired of them, uh, as well as problem solving about a horse who just won't walk forward. So bulky. What is that about? <laughs> and lastly, a horse that uh, is kind of all in your space while you're leading. Um, so without further ado, let's jump into this episode and listen to me ramble for a long time and eventually answer some of your questions. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. If you're willing and able, check us out at Jet Real Podcast on your patron app or at patreon.com slash Podcast. When you become a patron of the podcast, you can ask me questions that I'll answer on the podcast, receive merch, and have access to live Q&A events, which means you get your questions answered in real time. Uh, at the higher tiers, you have the option for phone call consults with me on air or privately, as well as access to online training with me, depending on your tier. Ooh, fun. Uh, lastly, should you decide to become a patron, just know you can cancel at any time and subscribe and unsubscribe as you please. And if you can't support us through Patreon, absolutely no worries at all. Listening alone is more than enough. And I just want to say thank you to all the current and future patrons. Me and the ponies appreciate it endlessly. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get into the part where I talk about things you're interested in. Alrighty, guys, I am going to go ahead and jump into your questions here. But before I get all up in it, I want to say that this episode might be a little bit shorter. (laughs) Um, I'm going to try my best, but I have been nurturing a headache for all of today. It's currently 8 p.m., and I've been working on this puppy since around noon, and it, I took some stuff for it, and it usually knocks it out, and it is not, so I think it might be a dehydration headache, which can only be resolved through hydration, and I've been chugging water, but Um, usually talking and using my brain cells makes it worse. So, um, I don't know how long I'm going to last, but I am going to get to some patron questions today. And I also want to say that I know some of you guys are not the biggest fans of me answering questions. Um, but I think they're super helpful and this is the way that I learned, um, which I mean, doesn't mean it's right for everyone, but, um, a huge way that I learned how to, um, you know, problem solve and think through, um, training and stuff. And I mean, obviously I'm still learning, but, um, was through listening to other people ask their questions and then having those questions addressed and learning the patterns and the ways to think about things. And, um, I don't know. And sometimes every now and again, uh, somebody would ask a question and I was like, Oh my God, that is exactly what I've been having a problem with. Um, or it would be like, I didn't even think about that. That's a problem. And there it is right in front of my dumb face. So, um, yeah, so I'm kind of, uh, I'm hoping that you guys will like that. I am working on a collab and I have some other episodes planned, but, um, as a lot of you know, I just got back from vacation 
and um, I had every intention of working while I was there, but, um, you know, part of me was like, you actually need to take a break. Like you're going to burn out if you don't. Um, so I decided to just read my book and leave my computer in my backpack. So that is what I did. Um, but I do plan on getting in some study time. Uh, I was going to when I got back, (laughs) but I had to feed the horses when I got back to let the people that normally feed have their, um, uh, break that they get during the summer and because um, I mean feeding all of our horses seven days a week is a lot so whenever they need time off I'm like yeah I got you um, so but I'm feeding for the next couple of days and um, it it takes such a toll on me because I'm going to complain here for a minute <coughs> sorry about that <laughs> probably just deafened a bunch of people but I'm not cutting it um, but I have really bad eczema I mean, I guess it's not really bad. I've seen it worse, but like it's bad. And I am allergic to grass, which I mean, it's not like a deathly allergy, but it's enough that um, when I touch it, it like instantly gives me eczema. I don't know what that is, but like, and like we, our grass has been really tall lately. And so and it's hot. I mean, it's Arkansas in the summer. And so the reel feels like 110 every day. And I'm sweating like a mofo. And so my legs and arms and chest coated in sweat all day long. And then when I'm throwing hay and alfalfa to the horses, it sticks to me. And then I guess like the little bugs in it and just being allergic in general, um, I get like welts everywhere. I get my skin swells up and patches and it itches like both of my shoulders currently like it looks like an an animal clawed me <laughs> like because I was in the shower and I was itching and it just itched so bad and I guess I didn't realize how much <laughs> I was scratching it and um I like I have bruises on my arms from scratching so bad and um I'm just not built for existing because I thought when I went to Florida that it would get better because Florida is supposed to be super humid, but I guess the salt water just canceled that right out because, oh my God, I could not stay outside um, for super long. I don't know if it was like the, there was like salt in the air drying my skin out or what, but I wasn't in the ocean that much. But like, I mean, I had like super like visibly dry skin and then um, like my entire neck just was covered in eczema like just dry cracking flaky awful itchy uncomfortable skin and I have um I don't know how to describe I don't know the terms for facial hair but you know when men have like a mustache that connects to their goatee like it goes around their mouth like if you were to take your thumb and your pointer finger under your nose and then like make a circle around your mouth like there is complete eczema like I just got out of the shower a second ago and I had to like slather on my creams my eczema creams and um just because it dried my face out so bad I wore hella sunscreen and I moisturized the whole time I was down there but it just wasn't enough so I guess I'm doomed to live in Arkansas forever because the same thing happened to me when I went to Colorado so um either I'm gonna have to like douse myself in moisturizer and drink it when I go to other places, um, or I'm just going to have to live in the South forever where there's not an ocean. Um, but it was nice overall, (laughs) but God, it sucks. I mean, like my elbow pits are covered in it. My, um, like the bend of my leg where my butt starts covered in it, the back of my knees, 
so bad. And if you don't know what eczema is, it's just like really bad dry skin. And it comes in patches and that shit will not go away. And I usually like, I've been going like once a year or twice a year to my dermatologist to get um, uh, cortisone shots. And that steroid is the only thing that has ever helped. And I have this cream. It's called triamcinolone. Cin- I can't. Whatever. Acetonide. Um, and it works super well, but it doesn't get rid of it. The only thing that gets rid of it is that cortisone shot. Um, but I have already been for an extra dose this year. I don't know what's going on with the, the nature, but uh, my skin is not having it. And it's my diet has not changed. Maybe my body has. I don't know what the problem is. But um, anyway, uh, the biggest issue is that I'm feeding right now. And all the hay sticking to me is, like, making my skin very angry at me. And um, it just <laughs> just welts. And it itches so bad. And then it dries out. And it just creates eczema. And then it won't go away. And um, so I feel like a lot of people are like, you don't understand what eczema is. I definitely do. <laughs> it is. I've had it my whole life. But um, for some reason, it just gets really aggravated by my allergies. I don't know if it's because of the immune thingamajig or whatnot, but I take my vitamins. I don't know how to make it better. It just is at this point. But anyway, that is my um, complaint for the day Um, because I just I've been taking hella showers because I have to feed the horses in the a.m. and the p.m. and then work with them. And so every time I go outside, pretty much like as soon as I can, I have to take a shower. Otherwise, that's the only thing that makes my skin de-welt. Um, if any of you have ever had allergy testing, like where um, you like lay down without a shirt on and they like tick your back with different allergens to test what you're allergic to, that's what happens. Like the ones that you are allergic to, it like welts up really big. That's what happens <laughs> on my whole back. It also happens with mosquito bites, weirdly enough. Um, but yeah, so my body is not equipped for existing is what I've learned, but, um, we're working on it, so, I don't know, I just can't wait to not have to feed anymore, but anyway, oh my god, the point in saying all that is I've been outside a lot, and, um, it's making me very dehydrated, and I think my skin is working overtime trying to hold in moisture, and it's not working, so, um, yeah, so I have a headache, that is my, my point, and, um, I've got some patron questions to answer here, and I want to, get into them to the best of my ability. I just don't know how long I'm going to last. So we're going to try. We're going to give it A for effort. And then hopefully next week's episode, I can be more on my game. Um, I'm going to try really, really hard to start recording them earlier. Um, This week obviously was weird because of vacation and stuff. Like I just got back yesterday um, or day before yesterday and had to feed and work all day yesterday. And I have been all over the place all day today. So, um, I'm, 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 I'm gonna get there. I promise. Um, I have, but I have so much I want to do and, um, it's bothering me that, um, this week's episode, I was like, I don't, I can't, like, I can't talk about the things I want to talk about because I want to make sure that it's well researched before I just like, you know, start running my mouth. Um, so anyway, without further ado, <laughs> shut up and start answering the questions because it's already been 10 minutes. Oh, wait, whoa, whoa. Okay. Whoa. Um, <clears throat> at the top of my notes here, I just realized it says that, um, I have things that I wanted to say that I left a note for myself. Um, so first of all, I'm trying a new format. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I redid all of my ads, um, so that they sound a little bit better. Cause I listened back to them the other day and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> they've probably been there for like a year. 
And so it's time to update them a little bit, make them sound a little bit better, and try to shorten them as well. <clears throat> and uh, I formalized the Patreon one um, just because I wanted to shorten it as well. Um, because I just felt like every time I started talking about Patreon, I would go on for 10 minutes, and I was like, that is getting ridiculous. So I wrote myself a script, and I made it like something I can plug into the episode. And <clears throat> I'm also going to try for this episode to record the intro after I record this. So this one's been kind of weird for me because I'm starting um, from the uh, the after the ads. You know, it, I don't know. It's very meta probably for you listening. Um, but I haven't recorded the intro yet. So that's what I'm trying to say. Um, so I will be going out of order. But that way I think I can get a more concise and clear <laughs> intro instead of me just going like, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. Maybe I'll get there in the end, you know. Um, and that way... Um, you listeners, when you start listening to an episode, you can be like, oh, okay, I want to listen to this one. Because I feel like some of them, um, I get to the good stuff at the end, but I didn't say that I was going to talk about it at the beginning, you know? So I've, it's I'm working backwards, which is hard for my brain, but that's what we're going to do. Um, and I killed a gnat. Um, okay, so also, um, this is going to be an episode where I answer your Patreon questions. Um, if you are a patron of the podcast, which I'm sure you listened to the entire ad that I did, um, the whole thing, <laughs> um, if you listened to that, then um, you know you can ask me questions. Um, and But I want to make sure that you guys know, because I feel like sometimes we forget. Um, if you're going to ask me a question, please um, indicate whether you want your name used or not. Um, but also... Like, if you don't, I'm just going to assume that you don't want your name used. I know it's you're, like, trying to focus on asking a question and it, it slips people's minds. It's fine. But um, I, I feel like it's nicer to be able to be like, Lauren, let me tell you, <laughs> rather than just, like, anonymous patron. But whatever. It's up to you. Um, just let me know. And also, if you become a patron, because I've noticed some of you are at the higher tiers and you're not taking advantage of any of those benefits, um, you can do anything at any time. Like, anything that is available to you, depending on your tier, you can uh, send me a message, you can request a phone call, um, you can utilize your training consults, whatever, um, you know, you want for your tier, you can do that. Like, don't wait on me. <laughs> um, as much as I would love to send a personal message to any everyone and be like, okay, do you need a phone call? Or would you like to use you know, whatever, like it, that's, I just, I really don't have time. So, um, and I hate that because I'm like, you're paying me, but at the same time, I, I want you to know that you, it's your resource. Feel free to use me as you want. If you just want to support, that is totally fine. But if you want to take advantage of the benefits that I'm offering, um, in exchange for your support, then please, by all means, take advantage of them. Um, I just, I really feel like I cannot make a promise that I'm going to be diligent about reaching out to everyone uh, monthly and being like, hey, do you need anything? <laughs> um, I would love to do that. But if you do send me a message, I would be more than happy to help you. So, um, yeah. And if any of you ever need clarification on where you stand or what, um, you know, perks you receive based on your tier, please feel free to message me on either Patreon or email me at jetrailpodcast at gmail.com. Um, okay. So there's that. Um, the last thing I want to talk about in regards to Patreon is that I um, the voting is now open for the um, for the live Q and A that we're gonna do at the end of the month, um, and you can vote on which day works for you and what time works uh, best for you. 
Um, I believe it's this Friday through Sunday and then next Friday through Sunday at 6 p.m. I think those are the the slots that I have available. So that's like six possible options you can choose from. So be sure if you're a patron at the $10 tier or above to vote for what time works best for you so you can be there or be square. Um, And that way you can get your questions answered in real time. And um, I think those are more beneficial um, because (laughs) you can like ask me a question and then I can answer it and you can be like, but wait, I forgot this detail or but what about this? And then I can answer it like right there and you don't have to wait a whole nother week. Um, another thing is, um, if you guys, I would really like for somebody to do the phone call option, uh, where we can discuss it on the podcast, because if you call me, um, then I can answer your question on the podcast and you can, you know, be like, okay, well, what about this? And then, uh, we can work through that. You know, I think it would be kind of like a cool back and forth rather than just me reading your one question. You know, I don't know. Um, totally up to you guys, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, if nobody ever ends up being comfortable with it, then fine. It's there if you want. Um, okay. The last thing I want to say is that, um, on my Instagram, Oh God, I just burped. I am running a contest to give away a free helmet. So if you, um, if you follow me on Jet Equitheory, you can, will see the post. Um, it's titled, like, Want to Win a New Helmet or something like that. Um, and so check that out if you want to enter that contest. Um, but, yeah, I think now I'm actually going to get into the questions. I'm going to stop talking about other stuff. Take a drink first, though, because I am thirsty. And we're trying to stop this migraine. Um, okay. Listener Rebecca asks, hi, Jill, free, feel, okay, God, we've already had a stroke. Feel free to share this on the podcast if you think it'll be helpful. It's going to be long, but I guess that's what I'm paying you for. And you are right, my dear Rebecca. That is exactly what you're paying me for. Okay, sorry, I had to move the mic. Okay, it's being loud. Um, Relevant backstory. My family and I have had the same lovely Morgan for over 16 years. She was a broodmare and then the best kid's pony ever. She's a wonderful teacher and is so patient with me as I started clicker training and positive reinforcement with her she's now 28 but still has plenty of spirit and spunk we have really done well with positive reinforcement as she's excited to do it i no longer need to use the cross ties and she stands better for fly spray and girthing than ever before my only priority is her health and happiness partly selfishly so i can enjoy her friendship for as long as possible which leads me to the training problem we're having difficulty at the mounting block I'm sure she understands my stand cue because, like I mentioned, she stands at liberty for brushing and will deliberately put her head in a neutral position when I say stand. She was still standing well, uh, or since she was standing well, I broke it down so that she would stand while I am around any part of her. I jumped down, or jumped up and down near her, leaned on her, and, um back as far as I could with no problem. Sometimes she'll start moving as I bring the mounting to her. Um, I'm assuming mounting block to her. Um, but most times she just stands calmly until I step up onto the mounting block. She either moves instantly or she'll stand for a beat. So I click and then she walks backwards. If she does stand for longer, I get down and treat. If not, she walks up until her head is at me. Um, and looks like she's waiting for her treat. Some sessions I can get her to stand while I'm standing on the block, but then the next time she moves. She usually gets back up and then stands still, but I'm sorry, I'm getting like lost in the detail. Um, okay, so if not, she backs up until her head is at me and then looks like she's waiting for a treat. Some sessions I can get her to stand while I'm standing on the block, but next time she moves. Um, she usually backs up and then stands still, but far enough so that I can't get on. Um, I don't know if she's saying no in the most polite way or if I'm doing something wrong. I've been working on it for a month and we haven't made any progress, which is much different to the other things I've done with positive reinforcement. Um, okay. So 
I know that there's more to this. There's actually a lot more. Um, but I, I just kind of want to tackle my thoughts because I started reading and stopped paying attention. <laughs> I hate that that happens, but it is a reality. Also, ADHD medicine has worn off today. Um, but so there are a few things that I am curious about here because, um, she sounds absolutely delightful. I mean, she sounds like a wonderful little pony. Um, I'm going to actually, oh God, sorry about the sound. I got to pick up the mic. I need it closer to my face. Um, cause I got a new chair actually. I'm really excited about it cause I've been sitting on a stool for months <laughs> and I'm really excited that I have a chair now that I can like sit back in and also hold my mic. Okay. Um, so yeah, you're pretty sure that she understands your stand cue because she stands for brushing and put her puts her head in a neutral position when I say stand. So that that may be, but also, um, you know, if you're grooming her in the cross ties or um, girthing her, like you said earlier, it um, you know it might be that setting. And um, sometimes horses. Um, you have to make sure that you've generalized the training to other areas. It sounds like you're being extremely proactive and like really trying to cover all your bases. And um, this is also something that I find extremely beneficial because for some reason, when other people ask me questions, I'm like, here are all the ideas and possible solutions. Um, but I have a really hard time slowing down with my own stuff. And then I end up talking to somebody about it and they're give me a thousand suggestions. So this is <laughs> extremely beneficial, even for people that are like really on it. Like, um, Rebecca sounds like she is. Um, so I would say, um, first make sure that your horse understands that cue. Also is the horse taking the stand cue as a head away cue, like the, to put the head in the center of the body, or is it genu genuinely a don't move your feet cue? Um, you know, you could test that by walking away from her, and seeing if she stays, um, and, um, yeah, it's tricky because, uh, I mean, you would know better than I would, but, um, this is why the phone call suggestion would be nice, um, but that's why I'm like, I don't know, it's tricky because I, I don't know how you know that she knows to stand, if that makes sense, um, and, I mean, she'll stand at liberty for brushing, but that's because, she clearly doesn't mind brushing. Um, so if she's having an issue with the mounting block and you've had this pony for, um, 16 years plus, and then, um, she's 28. So, um, it, it's very possible that it's a learned behavior, but it's also very possible that that learning took place for a reason. Um, and if you don't know if that reason's resolved or not, that's where I would start. Um, I would, uh, make sure that she is not on a sugary diet. I would make sure that her feet are comfortable and that her back and top line are strong enough to support a rider so that um, her back isn't causing her any pain. Also, if she's a little bit on the older side, um, you know, arthritis and joint problems and stiffness can um, start arising. Um, but um, I know I can see... In, further down in the message that there's some stuff about that. So I'm going to hold off on <laughs> going too far into that. Um, but as far as your problem specifically of when you're on the mounting block and she stands where you want her to, and then you click and then she moves away. Um, what I would suggest doing is um, instead of clicking and then trying to hand her the treat from the mounting block, um, 
stand by the mounting block, you know, break it all the way down, stand by the mounting block, click, walk over to her treat. Um, so it's the same thing as the quote unquote rules of the game or teaching manners. Um, the principle is that the horse doesn't come to you for the food. The horse learns through you establishing what the clicker means, that part of it means that you're going to bring the food to the horse. So I always say the clicker means two things. One, that was right. And two, food is coming. And food is coming means I'm bringing it to you, not you look for it. Um, so they can always count on it and they can relax in their position instead of hurriedly trying to get to you um, to get their reward, if that makes sense. So what I would do is where she's most successful because she's most likely to move when you're on top of the mounting block, from my understanding. So if you're on the ground, click and then walk over to her and give her her food. And then walk back to the mounting block, click, walk over to her, give her her food. Step up on the mounting block, click, walk over and give her her food. So she learns that throughout this whole process, all she's got to do is stand still. And um, you've said in the next part, I've considered doing hip targeting or mat training, but I don't know if she would do the same thing as soon as I step up on the block or try to get on. So this is where things get a little bit tricky. Um, so I would highly recommend doing the mat training. I would obviously do it without the mounting block first. You only want to introduce one thing at a time. Um, so if you do that, then it's extra clear to her while um, you're standing on the mounting block or you're running a lap around your field, that her job is to stand on the mat. That's what you've taught her with the mat training, hopefully. And it, uh, I should back up. If you guys don't know what mat training is, essentially you can get like a doormat for, I don't know, 10 bucks on Amazon or at your local Dollar General and set it on the ground and teach your horse to put their front feet on it or their back feet or all four feet, whatever you want to do. Um, so the idea with mat training is, um, kind of like stationary targeting. You can also do this by like tying a target to the stall door. A lot of people use like boat buoys, um, and you can just tie them to the stall door and then, uh, tack up at Liberty because the horse knows that they're stationed at that, uh, target until you give them the, um, walk on or leave cue. Um, it's kind of like if you've ever watched dog training, they have a, um, okay is, typically the, um, you're free to leave that position. Um, so they'll have the dog like go on a mat and then, um, lay down or hang out or whatever, like while well, maybe the other dog eats or something. And then they'll say, okay. And then the dog is, knows he's free to leave. And you can do the same with horses. Um, uh, so mat training in this situation would be super helpful because your horse, um, her feet have to be stationary on the mat. So it's better than a, um, like kind of a nose target, like a, your typical stationary cue. So I would, or target, sorry. Um, so I would do that, but the only caution I have with that is that if the horse is experiencing any sort of pain and discomfort, you really don't want her to be trained to stand and tolerate it. That is the only concern I have here. And it sounds like you are also questioning that because like, you don't want to train your horse that the only way she gets food is to stand and tolerate being uncomfortable. Um, so it's a bit of a rock and a hard place. And really the only way you can, um, you know, sort of try and get ahead of that curve is by having your vet out. Um, so I'm going to pause commentary here and continue reading this message because I feel like it might, um, answer some of that. Okay. Reading on, it's been the biggest issue for our 16 years together, and it was her only vice when we bought her. At some point, I would love your opinion on using that word since I'm also a hoe for semantics. <laughs> 
as a fellow hoe for semantics. I appreciate that phrasing. I will be adding that to my vocabulary. Um, I'm supplementing her for some joint stiffness, but my vet says she looks healthy for her age and encouraged me to keep exercising her lightly. Granted, we haven't had an extensive workup done because before I just attributed it to her being a naughty pony. Jill quoting or commenting here. It's very typical reading on. Um, it's the only sign I've noticed that could be due to discomfort, um, i.e. no biting, tenderness while brushing. I only ride in a bareback pad, so I don't think it's fit related. And sh she'll now stand perfectly while being girthed. I'm not sure if it's a learned behavior since it's been happening for so long. Okay, so a few things I have to say here. So first, addressing vice. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, if you've listened to the Dominance Theory episodes, you know I kind of went on a um, a march <laughs> for the word pushy, um, because it, like a vice, what you're labeling is something you don't like. Not that is inherently a bad behavior, like cribbing or kicking or bucking or rearing. Those are not inherently bad behaviors, but as humans, we tend to not like them because they are damaging in one way or another. Um, but for the horse, they're serving a purpose. All behavior has a purpose. So if a horse has a vice, um, it's usually a training, dietary, or comfort issue. Um, so either the horse is afraid or in pain or um, confused, not understanding, or um, doesn't have what it needs uh, in terms of diet. Um, so, no, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, that's a people way of... Um, you know, trying to justify behaviors, you know, oh, well, this horse, she has a bit of a bucking problem or she won't stand at the mounting block. And uh, to me, when I hear those things like the vices, I'm like, okay, the, the horse is doing it for a reason. So maybe we address the reason instead of labeling it as a, a vice, because what that does is it shuts down any conversation. Oh, that's just the way he is. Okay. So we're locked into that forever now. And I, that's not the frame of mind that I like to work from. I like to work from that behavior has a reason. So if I can give the horse a reason to act differently, that would be ideal. Whether that is making the horse more comfortable, um, be it through um, physical relief or mental relief. Um, or if I can, um, uh, oh my God, what was I going to say? <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. Um, but Okay, or making uh, something that I prefer more reinforcing. So, for instance, um, we had a horse, or we have a horse, Flit. Um, he's a big uh, Frisian uh, sport horse. So, he, when we got him, was so... Oh, he, like, every time he tried to bridle him, he's like, his head, I shit you not, is the size of my torso. His head is huge. And I'm 5'8". <laughs> That's a big head. And so he would sw like just toss it up in the air, straight up and down, every time you're trying to put a bridle on. And like it was impossible to get the bridle on because he's just slinging his head around. And it, A, that hurts when it hits you. And B, uh, really annoying and uncomfortable. Not a favorite behavior. And uh, when we first got him, we were all like, man, this horse is a dick. Um, and then I started thinking about it from my <laughs> behaviorist perspective. And I was like, mm, it's, it's always harder to admit. I, I've noticed that I'm a lot quicker to ow, catch myself now, but, um, it's so easy to just be like, mm, this horse is annoying. And then I'm like, okay, mm but why is the horse being annoying? You know? And then you're not stuck with, okay, this horse is just being a punk because that, you know, leads to you wanting to get aggressive and rough with the horse. And that is not the way that I want to train. So 
Um, a perspective shift I often find is not only better for my mental state, um, but also, um, well, I guess also I should say, not only does it not lead to me abusing the horse or hitting him for being, um, you know, non-compliant or whatever, but also I can fix it because if that horse is tossing his head and throwing the bridle around and I'm punching him in the face, what in the world is going to make him want to have my hands anywhere near him? You know, if every time I bridle him, he tosses his head and I reprimand him through corporal punishment, um, there's no way he's ever going to want to trust my hands because he knows he's going to get punched. And half of the horses that I have ever met that have a biting problem, um, when you, uh, you know, beat them (laughs) or hit them or slap them or whatever it is, um, you know, for biting, they tend to try and bite you and then they go reeling backward because they know they're going to get hit. But it's still motivating for some reason for them to communicate. So imagine how driven you have to be to, um, you know, just like think about it in a human scenario. Say your boss is being a jerk to you and is making you um, run laps around your office, but your foot is broken. This is a weird example. Um, fair warning. It's all I got. Um, so your boss is being a jerk, making you run and you got a broken foot and, um, you're yelling at him and telling him this hurts. I don't like it. And your boss just hits you. Uh, so, you know, you're in extreme pain. You're hating what you have to do and you don't want to do it. So, when you're being forced to, you still have some, on some level, unless you fall into learned helplessness, which often happens to horses where you just give up entirely. Um, but, you know, if you don't, then you're probably still going to yell at your boss, but you're going to duck next time. And that's what happens with the horses. They learn, I don't fucking like this. I'm telling you. And then you hit me, which obviously is going to make me like it. <laughs> um, and then they just start ducking and they're like, okay, you're, I know you're going to hit me, but hey, that still hurts. Um, so that's that's just why I have an issue with like labeling with pushy or um, vice. It usually just means the horse hasn't been taught or his um, problems haven't been addressed. And um, it's just a way to shortcut and make things easier on the human because they get to be aggressive and um, there's some ego in it. And nobody likes to hear that. <laughs> but uh, on some level, I mean, like, you know, and you if you're listening to this privately, you can admit it to yourself. You don't have to admit it to anybody else. But I think all of us at least once have experienced when a horse is being really difficult and you really get rough and aggressive with them and they finally comply, you feel a little bit powerful. I mean, horses are awesome, huge, incredible animals. And when you make them comply and you get your way because you showed them who was boss or you were stronger than them, you know, it's a little bit empowering. Now, when I think about that, and even that sentence, I was like, this doesn't feel right anymore. I don't know how to like articulate it. But back in the day, like I really got off on that for some reason. And I, and I know I'm not the only one. So don't make me feel weird about it. (laughs) Um, but, or, you know what, go ahead. It needs to be, I need to feel weird about it. I, I, cause I do now. (laughs) I don't like that at all. But, um, you know, you, you feel better when you get the better of it. And, um, I mean, I guess that's why people like do boxing and stuff. You want to win. You want to prove that you're stronger and that you can handle the tough horses. Um, so anyway, that is my <laughs> opinion on the word vice. Jesus Christ. Sorry, that was a tangent. Um, okay. 
So supplementing for joint stiffness, your vet says she looks healthy and needs exercise, um, but you haven't done an extensive workup because you just chalked it up to difficult pony. Um, So yeah, I mean, you say you haven't noticed anything like biting or tenderness while brushing, um, and now she stands perfectly with being girthed. That did catch my ear. Um, that she'll now stand perfectly while being girthed is a bit of a question mark for me for the same reason that I said maybe training, um, doing mat training or training your horse to stand at the mounting block is not a good idea until you completely rule out, um, to the best of your ability, pain, um, because you don't want to teach the horse to endure. And you can do that with, um, girthing with some horses, um, they will want the treats so bad that they'll, they'll stop communicating that that hurts. And, um, so, you know, if your horse has been conditioned to put her ears forward and relax her face while you're doing up her girth in order to get a treat, then that's what she's going to do. But that doesn't mean that she's not in pain anymore. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Um, so that, that caught my eye, which, also might be why um, she doesn't want to stand at the mounting block unless she had ulcers at one point and you addressed them and treated them and then did the counter conditioning after um, where you regave the girth and association that was, you know, more auspicious for her, um, which I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you've done that or not, but that would um, be the only case where I would say that if a horse went from not liking the girth to liking the girth, that I would say that it was through just good counter conditioning. Um, cause the only way you can do that is when there's no pain. So, um, you know, the joint supplements are great, but, um, and if your vet says she looks healthy, um, that is great, but I would encourage if you, I know it's hard, um, especially like in my area, we don't have that many vets, but if you could get a second opinion, that would be phenomenal. You know, I mean, you could just ask like, you know, I've noticed that she doesn't really want to stand at the mounting block and I'm kind of worried that maybe she's got, um, some arthritis in some of her joints, or maybe she's got something going on with her back, um, or her SI. Could we check that out? And most likely the vets will just be like, oh yeah, let's do it. Let's take some x-rays and spend your money. Um, so that's, that's what I would do. Um, because I would, I really discourage everyone from training out behaviors that are highly correlated with pain, um, or being a pain response. So like not wanting to be mounted is really indicative of something being wrong. And if she's not you know, being, um, cantankerous under the saddle, um, or bareback pad, whatever, while you're riding, um, you know, it, like, it might just be, um, that she's not wanting to be ridden, but no, she needs to comply while you're on. Also, another thing that I think I should point out is some horses don't like bareback. Um, and Zoe is one of them and I push the issue frequently but oh my God, she hates it. She hates it so much. And now I am thinking that it's probably because of the kissing spine. Um, but she just, oh, she was so tight in her back. <laughs> she did not want me up there. And um, she never like moved away or anything when I tried to get on, but um, she just did not ride well. And um, I know that they make different bareback pads that are better weight distributing, but that's generally why saddles are better. Um because they spread your weight out over the saddle tree. And I know people, some people prefer treeless. Um, I, I think treeless are great, but not for, um, 
heavy riding or on horses that have really sensitive backs like mine. Um, trees, I mean, everybody wants to be all natural. And while I do love a good bareback pad and I really fell down the rabbit hole of treeless saddles there for a while, um, the research that I looked into, obviously like a lot of it is from saddle brands. Um, but it makes more sense to me to have, um, something that distributes my weight rather than just sitting on one point, you know? Um, so I don't know what to, it's kind of like, you know, how you can like push a balloon down on a thousand needles, uh, and it won't pop, but you can push it down on one needle and it'll pop. It's because of the, um, distribution of pressure. Um, it, it's just, that's where I kind of have an issue with riding bareback all the time. Um, and some horses just really don't like it. I mean, if she's going super well under saddle, that is great. But if she's not wanting to be ridden, there's something up with that because all horses know. Um, and that's where I kind of have an issue with this being like a learned behavior. Um, because they know when you lead them up to a mounting block, they know what's about to happen. All of them do. They're very good with context cues and uh, clues, sorry. And also the mounting block is a cue for you're about to ride. And if they're not wanting to line up to it, they're being pretty clear, you know, and it sucks. Trust me, I know, it sucks. And every time I have to get on like a client horse and it moves away from the mounting block, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I hate this for us because I don't want to do this. I don't want to ride you if you don't want to be ridden. Um, and that's where I think you also mentioned hip targeting because hip targeting, you can ask, you can hold your hand out and ask them to target and you can click and you know, they can spin their haunches away or they can move or they could just refuse to target, um, because they know you're going to get on. And, um, so I don't know, those are a few options, but I would just really be careful about training, uh, trying to train out pain. Um, and that's obviously not what you set out right and not what you probably are like wanting to do, but that is, this is walking a very fine line, uh, on that. And that's where I question the girth thing. So I would just have a vet look at her or talk to your vet. Um, I would definitely get a second opinion though. Um, and just be like, look, I don't know what's going on. She just doesn't want to, um, line up to the mounting block and she's not an obstinate pony. She is very keen on everything, but I think something's going on because she does not want me to get on her. Um, and they might look at you like you're cuckoo, but, um, you know, if you find something, then there you go. That's what happened with me and Zoe. I mean, I was brushing her and I noticed that she was kind of flinching in her back and, um, it had resurfaced that she was pinning her ears. Cause I, I worked out, um, the girthing issue with her cause she also used to be super girthy and I had worked that out, but then I noticed it came back when I would set the saddle on, which had never been a problem. And I was like, mm, that's weird. Um, or at least I'd never noticed it before. So, um, then I started paying attention to it and that's, um, her hawks were causing a problem and then it didn't get better after we got them injected and it was her back. So now I've got to start that rehab at some point. <laughs> Jesus. I bought a book about lunging clicker training. I don't know if I'm going to do it that way or not. We'll see. Uh, I'm just being honest. I would love to, um, do her conditioning work with, um, clicker training, but I don't know if I'm at that level yet. Um, but we'll see. Um, yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, I would just have your vet out. That's really the best thing you can do. You have to rule out pain there. Like, I just, I really don't see another option. Um, I can offer you all the training advice in the world, and I'm more than happy to do so again after she gets checked. Um, but I would really check, like, stifles and hawks and uh, her back and uh, probably SI as well. Um, those are usually the things. And maybe look into getting, um, you know, a well-fitted saddle. Um, and maybe that might change her position as well. I know saddles are expensive, but if you can find, uh, there are lots for, that are used and maybe you could find one that fits. It's honestly for me lately, like just in all the reading that I've done, like it's just non-negotiable. Your saddle must fit your horse. You cannot have a saddle that doesn't fit. Try running a marathon or at least running around for 30 minutes. You know, typically people ride for about 30 minutes. Do that. Uh, walk, trot, and canter, human version, uh, in shoes that are a size too small or a size too large for you. You will suffer. It is the same for a horse. <laughs> it is not comfortable. Um, so just, it's, it's very important. And, um, so I, I maybe look into that. Um, okay. So I want to finish your question here. Jesus Christ, it's 45 minutes. Um, I would have no problem stopping riding her, but she lost a decent amount of muscle this winter. And for her health, I want to keep her active. We've been going on walks, but my knees make it hard for me to walk or trot with her for very long relative to horse exercise time. Um, I have trouble lunging her because she figured out that if she doesn't go forward, when I cluck, I won't escalate the pressure like how she was always taught. Riding is the best way I can keep her moving since she doesn't trot or canter much in her pasture. I would love to hear your thoughts on my conundrum. Um, so I have given my thoughts over the past 45 minutes on this conundrum. Um, but yeah, I, I would just say like, I mean, I'm in a rock and a hard place too with Zoe cause she's doesn't have a top line at all. And I am going to have to do lunging because, um, you just, you can't, I cannot get on her. I would run into the same issue that you're having because Zoe has kissing spine and essentially her back is just like a saggy bridge and I need to build support under that bridge to lift it up to separate those boards. I, don't, I hope you're seeing my visual in your head. It's a wooden bridge. It's got like this, those slats, like the really scary ones. You know what I'm talking about? They're just like wooden planks. Um, so currently her back is like the normal version of that. I need to like lift that bridge up um, and give it more support so that those slats can spread out. Um, because that's what kissing spine is. And, um, hers is not a extremely severe case, but it's enough that it's irritating her a lot. Um, so I feel you a hundred percent. I, I really don't want to have to lunge her, but I, if I have to use escalating pressure to, um, get her going, it's what I'm going to have to do for her well being, And that is where we start talking about, like, you know, I always say I am a positive reinforcement based trainer a hundred percent, but if it is my horse's welfare. Like if I had an obese horse and he must exercise, you know, I'm going to have to lunge him. You know, it's, it's, if it is in the horse's best interest, sometimes you just have to do it. And, um, I would love to spend all of my time, um, reading books on how to lunge from the ground and, um, you know, doing positive reinforcement that way. But, I am just running into a huge problem because you have, it has to be conditioning. I can't start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Well, that's great for working on transitions and building haunch muscles. It doesn't really, um, do the same thing that working long and low for an extended period of time does. Um, transitions work different muscles than trotting with her nose on the ground and her hind end engaged. And that is something I can really only do, 
um, lunging because I, I don't have the tools in my toolbox to do it completely at liberty just yet and keep her going in a way that is not going to frustrate and overwhelm her. Um, and I, frankly, I don't have time right now to learn how, and that is something that, (laughs) sorry, I keep tangenting so hard. Um, that's something that I've really been thinking about a lot lately because, um, with my master's program, I was going to take four classes this fall. That's 12 hours. And if you're in an undergrad program right now, you are like 12 hours. Jeez, that's nothing. Um, in a grad program, that is absurd. Like you're, most people take six hours, which is two classes. Um, or I'm going to take nine hours. So that's three classes. I just made that decision today because I was like, I have so much I want to do. I want to make the podcast really good and I want to study for the podcast episode so I can like in a concise way, bring you guys knowledge. And, um, it also helps me push myself to learn more. And I want to study, um, the horse stuff as well. And if I was taking four classes and dude, I don't even know, like taking three classes, I still might not have time. Um, but I, I really want to prioritize this podcast and, um, you know, and making YouTube content and staying active on all my socials because this is really something that I do enjoy. I took a really long break for a while and now that I've come back, like, I'm finding the way that I want to be in this world again. Like, not in the world, but, like, in the world of equine social media and stuff. Um, and it's, especially the, like, the Dominance Theory episodes really resonated with me, weirdly enough. Like, that was just, like, that's what I want to do. And I want to keep doing episodes like that where I find and research and read and learn and expand my knowledge and then share it with you guys um, because that's what this podcast is about. Initially, when I started the Equine and Theory podcast, I um, wanted to... I I wanted to share my journey. As I learned, I wanted to share it with you guys. And I want to bring that into the Jet Rail podcast as well. And, oh my god, I started thinking (laughs) today this, like, a name popped into my head um, for the podcast. And I really like it. But I don't know if I can handle a third name change (laughs) on this stupid podcast. Um, So we'll see. I, I... I used to rearrange my room a lot as a kid and that's what my social media feels like. I always change my usernames and I know that's like marketing one-on-one big no-no, but I can't help it. I just, I feel inspired in different ways. (laughs) But anyway, that said, um, it, I I don't know. I just, I really want to dedicate my time to learning more. And right now my biggest passion that I've been falling in love with is learning more about hoof care. And, um, I really want to dedicate the next couple of months, like particularly this fall semester. I feel like I'm going to like alongside my main classes for my master's degree. I kind of want to like put myself in a hoof care course, like through my own curriculum. Cause I have the books and I've been listening to the, the humble hoof podcast, which is awesome by the way. And, um, they recommend a lot of books and talk about a lot of different people that I would love to learn from. So um, I'm doing that, but it is, um, it's a lot <laughs> because, uh, I mean, like I'm just, I'm so into that and I really want to learn more about diet and nutrition, which is so huge for feet and way more than we know. And, um, I'm really learning as a rider and an equestrian and a horse lover and trainer that I need to know about it. And I have overlooked it for too long and it's time that I take some of that responsibility on. And also, our farrier 
I love him dearly as a person. But some of the stuff he does to the horses and the way um, he is with them is just not exactly aligned with how I see the world. Um, I made an Instagram post about it a while back, uh, if you saw that. And um, so I am like, uh, I would like to learn how to do it myself. And I know that that's a little bit arrogant, but that is the only way that I can <laughs> start on the path is that I, I want to learn. I am truly a student of the horse and I want to learn more. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it to it, sunshine. And um, yeah, so my point in saying all of that is like, I have to pick and choose. Like sometimes um, I heard this awesome, like on the Humble Hoof podcast, I was listening uh, to it. And one of the people that was talking, I forget who I listened to like eight episodes today while I was feeding. Um, but they said that, um, they noticed their child when they were rearing it. I don't know how to talk about kids. Um, when they were raising their child, they noticed while he was learning how to walk, that his speech skills would go away for a little while. And then they would come back. And then, you know, when he took on a new skill, some of the others would kind of fall away for a little bit. And that's kind of where I've been at. And I thought it was a perfect metaphor for how learning really is. And like with positive reinforcement, a lot like of my shift, a lot of stuff had to fall away for me to make room to pay attention and really focus and learn and soak up that information. That's kind of what I feel like is happening right now. Um, as I have never been this busy in my life genuinely. And I'm for the first time in my life having to pick and choose the things that I want to study and, um, do during my day. Cause I'm literally out of time. I've literally always had time always to do, like, and I, I always said, like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do anything. And I, dude, I had no idea what busy was. And now, oh my God, I have so much to do all the time. It's so stressful, but it's also awesome. But I don't want to burn out. And I'm really, that's why, like, when I was on my vacation, I was like, you just put everything down. Like, just read a book. <laughs> and that's what I did. And I was very proud of myself because it was super hard to do, but I know I burn out. And so I was like, bruh, you gotta, you gotta chill. And so that's, all of this to say, I'm so good at tangenting tonight. I said this was going to be a short episode. L-O freaking L. I thought it would be like 30 minutes long. <laughs> Do we know me at all at this point? Um, but anyway, so my point in saying that is I am choosing to prioritize nutrition and hoof care education over um, learning about how to ground drive and lunge through positive reinforcement and in all likelihood, the way that I'm going to start rehabbing Zoe is going to be pretty traditionally on the lunge. I know for a fact that my horse in particular is very good on the lunge line. She um, she knows vocal commands. I'm sure the first time I work with her, I might have to swing the whip a little bit. But I know that she knows those uh, commands and she will go. And yes, I'm calling them commands because they are. There is a threat involved in them and that is the way she learned them. They are not cues. They are commands. Um, and so... Um, I know she knows them, but I also know that they are not greatly anxiety inducing for her. And, um, you know, she doesn't get super stressed out and she doesn't bolt and, um, she doesn't appear like I've, I know that horse through and through, and I know when she is over the top and lunging does not put her over the top, but I really feel like it's the only way that I'm going to get her to a place where she's comfortable, where we can take it from there with positive reinforcement as I learn more about how to maintain it. It if, I hope that makes sense. And maybe I'm being Machiavellian and, and justifying the means, but, um, I, I am making that choice and I am aware of it. And, 
I am choosing to study something else at the moment. Um, I also haven't started her rehab, so I haven't done any of this yet. Um, and I might go to lunch her and it just will not happen. And I, I'm not ever going to hit that horse. I swear to God, would never do that. And I'm not going to scare her so bad that she can't stand anything. Like if, if I swing the whip at her and she doesn't go forward, I'm going to have to figure something else out. But I'm pretty sure that she knows the cues or commands <laughs> well enough um, that we can make it work. You know, just get on some sort of schedule and start building her top line and um, doing that sort of thing. And um, but yeah, so I'm not totally opposed to negative reinforcement. And yes, it is self-serving. But at the same time, I really feel like it is in the best interest of Zoe. And I feel like that's how I can get her comfortable, more comfortable faster um, and I just need to get on it. And honestly, that's that's probably the biggest reason that I haven't started rehabbing her yet is because I know that's what I'm going to have to do because I, I know myself and I know that I am not going to be able to stick with it if it is through positive reinforcement. And that is like the most painful thing in the world for me to admit on this podcast. But I just, I, I don't feel like it's going to do anything. And trust me, I am through and through, like you can train anything through positive reinforcement, but it's going to take a long time, I think, to fix something and train something that's already there, if that makes sense. Like I said, if I had to beat her or scare her, like, I would not do it. You know, I mean, if it is a mild go forward, there is a whip, mild scare, mild threat. Okay, that is one thing. And I'm sure then I could just do it from vocal cues after that. But it I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying too hard to justify it, but I, I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. I'm not proud of it, and this is not what I want to do, but I want to get her going healthily and happily um, because um, that's the way to treat Kissing Spine is they have to develop a top line. Retirement is not an option for Kissing Spine horses, and it, it blows my mind. I'm in the Kissing Spine group on Facebook, and I see so many people talking about their retired Kissing Spine horses, and I'm like, why? Okay, like, don't be out there doing, like, training level. Like, let's not do that. But, dude, your horse has to, you have to keep a top line up, otherwise they're just going to suffer in the field. And that's what I feel like Zoe's been doing. She's just been chilling in the field with her spine getting lower and lower as her top line withers away. <laughs> so, and I'm like, and I don't want to have to do it through you know, traditional training, but that's my only option right now because I don't have anything to replace it with. And I also know that in the timeline that I need to get her going, I, I'm not going to have time, um, you know, because I, I feel like I'm already behind schedule and I should have done this years ago, but I didn't know. And now that I do know, I'm procrastinating because I don't want to do it the way that I know how. But at the same time, I don't want to learn how to do it the right way. And that's the bottom line. Um, and I just, I am disappointed in myself to say that, but it, that is where I'm at. So please be kind and have listened to all of my justifications and <laughs> accepted that. But anyway, to answer your question, Rebecca, uh, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> but I really think that, um, I think that keeping active is usually the best way to go because it, um, it's so good for their bodies. That's what they're designed to do. But, um, at the same time, you have to be tactful about it. Um, but anyway, I hope I answer your question in some capacity. Um, and I hope that you get things sorted out with her. Feel free to ask a question again. I'm pretty sure you're an upper level patron. So if you were 10, $10 tier and above, you can ask unlimited questions. So 
Anyway, I'm going to take a drink really fast. Mm. Ugh, I'm going to breeze through these other questions. Not really, I'll probably just end up talking just as long. Okay. <clears throat> Anonymous patron asks, I recently heard my trainer tell some students that when working with uh, food and training, you need to be sparing on how often you reward a food or else the horse will get bored of the reward and won't be as effective. This contradicts the idea of using a high rate of reinforcement to avoid frustration since she thinks you should only reward when the behavior is the best version of what you're asking rather than any little try in the right direction. I have to some degree found this to be true though, that my horse often gets bored of my reinforcement because it isn't novel. My horse used to train easily for hay pellets and now doesn't really care about them, so I have to keep switching what I use to keep her interested. Sometimes she will get bored of my food reinforcer halfway through a session and I don't exactly want to wear four different treat pouches to keep her interest up. What are your thoughts on this topic and how would you handle it? Fair question. Um... I am going to go ahead and say that your trainer is wrong. Um, I think that it is entirely possible that there are some horses out there that that might happen to. But I would say um, as an animal that eats pretty much exclusively grass every single day, that's not the case. (laughs) Horses pretty much eat hay, grass, alfalfa, and grain. Those are their four options, if I counted correctly. Um... Most horses don't eat outside of that. So the idea that that animal gets tired of food is not... It's more of a human thing, you know? I mean, like, if you eat the same granola bar every day for breakfast, you're going to get tired of it. But horses aren't really designed that way. Um, They eat the same thing every single day. And also, I have definitely not worked with every horse on the planet. However, I work on a farm with about 50 horses and... I have yet to run into a horse that gets booed, booed, <laughs> booed of the Ford, um, board of the food reinforcer. What usually happens is, um, a different scenario. So if I had to take a swing at this and please hear me out and do not take this as a dig at your training, but I think you might be looking at it from the wrong paradigm. So this is similar to what I was talking about earlier with the vice question. So, how you view the situation is entirely dependent on how you react. So if you're viewing your training situation as, um, you know, the horse is walking away because it's bored of your food, the only thing you can change is your food reinforcer. And I'm not saying that that is never a possibility. It's always something you should consider, um, you know, because every horse is different. However, the more likely reason that your horse is walking away or becoming, uh, as you said, uh, bored or disinterested is probably because um, she or he is expressing frustration in um, a different way. So some horses, um, you know, you give them uh, or some horses express frustration through nickering or pawing or kind of getting animated and up in your space and other ones just walk away. Um, if you are being confusing, uh, they're going to walk away. And I would put money that the reason your trainer is seeing a lot of her horses walk away and has decided that the reason that they do that is because they're bored of the treat is because she's only rewarding for the really good tries and not the little ones. Um, So, uh, I mean, talk to any dolphin or dog trainer, um, or horse trainer for that matter, shaping, well, not traditional horse trainers, because that's not how, um, traditional training's done, but, um, any positive reinforcement clicker trainer, 
should know what shaping is. And shaping is rewarding each little incremental step. Um, we call them successive approximations. Each little little step towards your goal behavior. Like we were talking about in the mounting block earlier. Okay, so the first step is the horse. can the horse stand? Can the horse swing his haunches over? Can the horse stand while I'm on the mounting block? You know, you shape those behaviors. Or maybe a different one um, like... Uh, cheek targeting. So you want the horse to touch his cheek to your hand. Um, You hold your hand up and any, like if the horse's eye looks at your hand or their ear goes to your hand or they move their head in that general direction, you click until you have worked up until the horse, um, you've raised your criteria each step until the horse is touching his cheek to your hand entirely. Um, So that's what you reward each little step. So the horse stays motivated and knows that they're on the right track. Um, the opposite, what your trainer is suggesting, um, that doesn't usually work. Cause you're, you're looking through a traditional mindset, which is what we tend to do. Like the horse only gets released when they do it perfectly. They don't get the release for doing it somewhat. Most of the time, some trainers are different, but Typically how I was taught, you get the behavior and then you reward the horse, not um, you get a little bit and then you reward, you know? Um, So I would say that that's kind of that traditionalist mindset. Um, So it's kind of like punishment, 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 punishment until the horse guesses correctly and then it's, okay, release, reward, reinforcement, whatever. Um, And that's not necessarily how I've used negative reinforcement, whatever, but like that tends to be the mindset. Like, nope, nope, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Okay, now you've got it. Um, And that's kind of how your trainer's training with food. Um, And I would not uh, recommend doing that. So if your horse is, um, as you say, um, getting bored of your reinforcement because it isn't novel, I would throw that out don't think about it that way. Um, and I know that a lot of you, like earlier, Rebecca, she said um, that I'm a semantics uh, hoe, but uh, it really is so important. If you are viewing the situation as the horse is being bored of you because it doesn't like the food you're offering, the only thing you can do is keep changing the food. And as you say, little inconvenient to wear four different treat pouches every time. Um, so the more likely and more efficient explanation is that, um, you're probably asking for too much and frustrating the horse. And it's like, it's not worth it. I don't want to work for this. I can go eat grass, you know? Um, so if your horse is walking away, it's generally an indication that the horse is, um, uh, confused, uh, or that it's not worth it. You're asking too much and it's confusing the horse or, um, whatever behavior you're asking is painful or the horse is unable to do it. Um, so yeah, those are some possible explanations, but that's a really good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all about the perspective, my dude. It's the same as the pushy horse. If the horse is pushy, you can't do anything like you're stuck. That's it. You can't change it. It's law. But if the horse, um, you know, is acting that way for a reason, well then you can find the reason and address it and then hopefully change it and then see the behavior change as a result. So that's how I feel about this situation as well. Um, hay pellets are normally good for every horse. <laughs> um, there are also lots of different brands and different types of hay pellets or alfalfa pellets that you can use. So, I mean, it's possible you could try different brands. Also, you could keep it um, spiced up if you want by reinforcing with the hay pellets for all the little tries. And then when your horse does do it spectacularly, like the best they've ever done it, then you can give them their jackpot treat, like, um, you know, carrots or something that they really like apples or 
whatever your horse really likes. Um, and that way you could keep it a little bit more diverse flavor wise. Um, but like I said, I have worked with a lot of horses and not one has gotten tired of the reinforcer yet. Even the babies, they don't even get food. They just get scratches. And, uh, those hoes are itchy. (laughs) They do not get tired of scratches ever. Um, so I don't know. Uh, that's what I have to say about that. I, again, really hope that's not offensive in any way. I'm not intending it to be. If anything, it's supposed to be helpful, you know. Your answer is no longer you have to have eight treat pouches, but um, instead you can just uh, make sure that you're really breaking down those behaviors. Um, I kind of hate that your trainer, I mean, like, obviously I don't know them and I have the wish no ill will on them, um, but they're kind of setting you up for failure because they're asking you to wait for your horse to do something spectacular, which the horse, it doesn't know which direction it's supposed to be going in. Um, like just as an exercise, if you can get a friend to do this with you, I would highly recommend it. It is so, so powerful when you experience it yourself. So get a friend, one of you has a clicker, or if you can make a marker signal with your mouth, do that. Um, and then try to train them to do something without talking to them. The only thing you can do is click to them. So if you want to train them to pick up a water bottle, you know, they just have to guess until they get it right. And if you have somebody do that to you, you very quickly realize how difficult it is, even with your big fat human brain. Um, So when you're a horse, um, that's all you got to go off of. So if you're asking for, you know, a big trot um, and you want the round back and arched neck, lifted shoulder, engaged hind end, you're probably going to have to start with just getting an upward transition. You can't wait for it to be perfect. Um, otherwise the horse is going to be like, fuck you, dude. You're not, I, I can't get anything out of this. I would get way more out of just standing over there and grazing. Um, so t- seriously, try it with a friend. I know it sounds really goofy, but, um, it is a very powerful learning tool. Uh, cause you quickly realize ha- just how far down you need to break down everything. So if you're working on like the trot first, you need to get a walk and then you need to get, um, you know, an upward transition cue, and then you need to work on duration and direction. Like there's a lot that goes into things like that. Um, so you really have to learn how to break it down. Um, so whatever you're working on with your horse, I highly, I always say this and I know it sounds so mundane, but until you get good at it mentally, write it down, start with your goal behavior and then write down as like challenge yourself to make it a puzzle. Go as far back as you can. You know, if your behavior is trotting, well, first you have to have your horse able to be around you. If your horse is afraid of you, this isn't going to go very well. So start at the very beginning. And then if all of the beginning steps are easy, you can breeze through them. And then, you know, when the criteria starts getting a little bit more difficult, you might have to spend more time there. So that's, that's what I have to say about that. Uh, another anonymous patron asks, I have a mare with a few rides under her. These rides have only been, um, her walking and stopping to plant her feet. I sit with, uh, I sit on her with my trainer next to me and even having her lead her to get her started. I feel so bad having to get her leg, give her leg and kick her, but she keeps telling me to. My mare just keeps planting her feet. It's been like this a few Saturdays in a row. I can only meet up with her on Saturdays due to my work schedule. And according to her, it's like this too with her son as well when he rides my mare. That's the rider she found, if you remember my last question, her 11-year-old son. Um, I don't remember that last question and I went back and looked, but I think that, um, maybe actually 
I don't know. I got, I got all confused. I had it figured out at one point, but I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, okay. My trainer is a smart woman has been working with horses for a while, but I don't want to kick the crap out of my four year old mare while clucking tips on getting her to stop planting her feet in a more positive manner. manner. Um, okay. So when I initially read this question, uh, my jaw literally dropped when you said four year old, um, because four year olds typically, do not want to be stationary. They are typically kind of wiggly and want to move around. So um, I would very much recommend the same thing I did to Rebecca. Um, get that horse looked at. It is very unusual for a horse to be stopping and not wanting to walk on, especially if that horse knows that if it balks, it's going to get kicked or whipped or be pulled forward. Um like, I mean, this is something that we so often don't think about in horse training. We're like, wow, this horse is being really obstinate. Look how much I'm kicking and spurring and it still doesn't want to go forward. But we are never like, oh my God, it really doesn't want to go forward. <laughs> like, it must be super bad if this horse doesn't want to go forward despite all of this. Um, so I would have a vet out and seriously, and like, I would also have a second opinion. I rarely enjoy going off of just one vet's opinion. Um, but in my area, I don't really have an option. Um, also that's expensive, but, um, you know, if your first one, you don't find anything, maybe have a second one out and just make sure that there isn't anything, but I would really suspect something's up if the horse is not going forward. And these questions are so hard for me to answer because I don't know what the horse's feet look like. I don't know how they move. I don't know anything, frankly. And, um, it's it's so difficult to answer so all I can do is kind of like spitball um all the different possibilities but it it really there's there's got to be something going on um whether she's not getting what she needs in her diet to make her want to um you know she doesn't feel good enough to go forward or if her back hurts when she moves with your weight on her um that's kind of where Zoe was at. She's like, oh my God, I don't want to do anything with a soft back because it hurts. So she just got tense, but some horses won't go forward. Some horses that also have like hawk or stifle problems don't want to go forward. Um, also having her see a chiropractor, um, that could actually be a good starting place. Cause if you have a chiropractor or a muscle therapist, um, out to find where your horse is tight and uncomfortable, um, that usually gives you an indication on compensation and where their problem areas could be. Um, and then you would know what to ask for from your vet. Um, but it's just, it's really unusual that a young horse, because I mean, I have spent m most of the entirety of my career working with young horses and they like to go fast. <laughs> um, they like to go forward of all breeds, all the young horses that I've worked with. I've never had a problem with one going forward. And I mean, some are just more laid back than others, but, um, especially if they know that they're going to get kicked. Um, if this has been a recurring problem, as you say that it has, um, yeah, I just, and I mean, also another thing, uh, the, to point out is, um, you said she's only had a few rides. Some horses don't get it. Um, and you have to teach them. So maybe go back to working on the ground and teach a vocal walk on cue. And then you can slowly transfer it to your leg to where, when you put your leg on, she knows that that is going to predict the walk on cue, um, the verbal one, and then she'll walk on anyway. That's how you train, um, cue transfers is new cue, old cue, and then behavior click treat. Um, you can read more about that in, um, 
Reaching the Animal Mind by Karen Pryor. I'm sure she talks about it in Don't Shoot the Dog as well. I still haven't read that book. I have it. It's on my list, but too many other things at the moment. Um, and I feel like Reaching the Animal Mind was it covered a lot of what um, Don't Shoot the Dog did. Um, but anyway, so, you know, a lot of uh, young horses, when they just get broke, um, they don't know how to walk with a human on their back. It's very awkward and uncomfortable. It's a lot of extra weight. So another thing you could do is a lot of groundwork. And, um, I know like a lot of people will, um, use weights kind of like they do with the racehorses, how they weight their saddle pads, um, to build up the strength. Because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you are, I don't know, say you're a hundred pounds and your horse is 1200 pounds. Um, so you're like, Oh dear God, I've set myself up for failure here. Um, okay. Say you're 120 pounds and your horse is 1200 pounds. So you are 10%. I'm so bad at math guys. Don't whatever. We're just going to roll with this. So I, so say, you know, you're 10% of their body weight. So they go from walking around and running and doing all of their normal activities freely. And then you add 10% of their body weight on their back or up to 20 and, uh, then, <laughs> and then you expect them to go the same way. Imagine if I just put 12 pounds on you or 20 pounds on you and said, okay, now go run around. You would kind of be like, uh, this is a little bit heavy, my guy. I don't think so. Um, and it can be awkward and cumbersome. So also have some compassion for the horse in that regard. Um, I know a lot of young horses really have an issue with going forward because um, it's uncomfortable and they don't know what they're supposed to do. And also, most of the time when horses get broke to ride, there isn't really a training period of this is what XYZ means. There's no cues. You kind of just kick and then pull, you know. Um, so maybe work on clarifying those cues on the ground, teaching the, ver the verbal cues. Uh, and then transfer them to the saddle, and that might help your clarity issue. And I know that that sounds like a lot of work, especially, um, like you said, you know, you're on a kind of a tight schedule uh, with work and everything, um, but it's really going to be the best method. So it might be a little mo bit more slow going if it's only once a week, um, but you could try to have your trainer help as well. And if your trainer is not willing to do that, I would recommend uh, finding a trainer that will help you train your horse, not one that just wants you to kick and pull and says that you that's the only way to train a horse because I completely disagree. And I think that there are plenty of trainers out there that if you went to them and you said, okay, this is how I want to train my horse. I have done the research. I know what I'm talking about, but I need somebody to help me keep the schedule up. I want my horse to learn a walk-on cue on the ground so that I can transfer it to the saddle so that it is as clear as possible. That's all you have to do. And if they're not willing to do that, that okay, cool, fine. We will find somebody else. Um, and that's how I ended up being my own trainer. <laughs> okay. Uh, I hope that that helped address it in some way or another. And I know you are an upper level patron. So if I didn't feel free to shoot me another message. Um, okay. Anonymous patron, uh, asks, I wrote you an email last week about a three-year-old paint mare in which I was teaching positive reinforcement in order to make her training and learning a lot more fun and rewarding her and it being harder to get her started due to my mother-in-law not teaching this way but I have listened to all of your podcasts and bought books and know this is something I want to do as it allows for insert the horse's name this is anonymous so I don't want to say the horse's name either uh, also I can't pronounce it so <laughs> um uh, to be understood and listened to rather than being forced into what I want her to do we have been working on picking up her feet now and I have just want and I 
Oh my god. Now, and I have just... What? And I just have to... Bri oh my god, I cannot read. <laughs> we have been working on picking up her feet, and now I just have to bridge before she knows what I'm going to ask her. But I want to teach her to stop, as she has the tendency to carry on walking until she's right behind me with her head on my shoulders, but I would prefer... What? Okay, hold on. I thought this was going to be a question about picking up the feet. I'm confused. Um, okay, we've been working on her picking up her feet, and now I just have to bridge before she knows what I'm going to ask her. But next, but I next want to teach her to stop as she has the tendency to carry on until she's right behind me with her head on my shoulders. But I would prefer to allow her her own space as well as me in mine in case she was to ever spook. She has a very, she's a very affectionate horse and has come, become more so, oh my god, I just cannot read tonight, and has become more so since I never gave her any grief for doing things wrong previously, but what I am asking is how would I go about getting her to stop in her own space with positive reinforcement that doesn't mean I have to raise my voice at her and pull the lead in order to give me time to move away. Okay, I guess the feet thing was unrelated and I'm not really sure what you mean by... I have to bridge before she knows what I'm going to ask. I don't know if that's a typo or if you meant like the bridge signal, like the click. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially what I would do for a horse that is, that you're having trouble leading. So I think from my understanding, I'm going to phrase it the way that I am going to answer it. So you're having problems with a horse that when you lead, she like essentially doesn't stop until she's on top of you <laughs> you're leading her and when you stop your feet it takes her a little bit longer to stop and so she is very close to you in your space so what i would do is um probably start at liberty if you can and if you can't it's, it's fine um but when you're leading click before um so your click has a lot of power for most horses, when you click, they stop and they're like, food coming. Um, so use that to your advantage. And when you click, she should stop moving her feet and then you can feed her. So if you're walking beside her and everything's going swimmingly, click, you stop walking and then give her a treat. Um, so, and also be sure, like I was saying earlier in the mounting block episode, or part segment, whatever, <laughs> um, the first 40 minutes of this episode, um, be sure you are going to her because if she thinks she has to come to you to get your food, you're defeating the whole purpose. You want her to stay out of your space. So you have to teach her that it's good to be out of your space. So make it a really good place to be. So when you're walking, if she is, you know, if you're shoulder to shoulder with her or her head is your shoulder to head, um, you know, wherever you want her to be, click her for being there. Um, I wouldn't wait until she's on top of you and reprimand and move her out of your space because if she learns that it's more beneficial to be in the places where you want her to be because you've rewarded her there, she's by nature not going to come into your space. That's what we call an incompatible behavior. Um, and this one, you're, it works really well because um, you're getting ahead of it. So if you're walking with her and she is, you know, trailing behind you a little bit maybe which it kind of sounds like if she's like coming on top of you that's probably what she's doing she's trailing behind you a little bit so you know maybe make a turn or something so she's where you want her to be whether that's uh, her head at your shoulder or your shoulder and her shoulder lined up wherever you want her to be click and then immediately like as fast as you can without obviously spooking her 
um, go up to her and give her a treat. So really make it clear that you come to her for food. She does not come to you. And that's not, you know, you're not reprimanding her if she does or anything, but just making it really clear that she's going to get fed where she is, not where you are. Um, and it's the same with the mounting block situation. You go to where you want them to be so that they don't have to readjust and get all over the place. So you want her to stay out of your space, so you're going to reward her out of your space. So, and click before she gets up to you. And, you know, if she doesn't stop when you click, that's okay. You're just going to have to kind of be quick about getting to her. Um, I also know uh, the Liberated Horse course that um, Mosey Truitt, who is Little Pistol Annie on Instagram and has her own podcast in the Spirit of Horse, she has an online course called The Liberated Horse, and it is really great about talking about the specific issue at Liberty, and um, which obviously translates to having a halter on. But I think it's easier to teach at Liberty because, um, you know, the horse is more likely to stop and move independently of you, uh, whereas sometimes if you have a halter and lead rope on, it can be a little bit more confusing. Um, but you can teach those cues. Also, teaching a woe cue is really great. Um, teaching your horse to stop when you would like them to stop um, via a verbal cue is also really helpful for things like that. Um, and that way you don't have to um, raise your voice or pull on the lead rein in order to give you time to move away. Um, yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure that I've completely understood this question, so feel free to message me again if I didn't answer it um, the way that you wanted because I'm a little bit confused at the way it's written and don't I don't blame you at all. I'm difficult at reading <laughs> and speaking, apparently. Um, but yeah, just shoot me an email if I didn't uh, answer it correctly, because I'm not sure how the picking up feet ties in. Um, I'm looking at, I've been looking at this very hard, and I'm still, jeez, I don't know why it's not making sense to me. It could be the headache, uh, which is getting pretty bad at the moment. So um, I think I'm going to go ahead and call it there. I hope I answered all of those questions for you guys. And I hope that maybe some of the listeners out there, it might've given you some ideas with your horse and the way you go about things. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up. So be sure to follow me and the ponies at Jet Equithery on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And also you can keep up with this podcast on Facebook and Instagram, not Twinstagram. Instagram at Jet Real Podcast. You can also support us on Patreon at Jet Real Podcast. And uh, I think that is about it. I will catch you guys next Tuesday. Have a good run. Oh God. Okay, it didn't stop. Oh, there's a gnat on my screen. Okay, now now goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>